And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back for another episode of the Long Lost Heroes podcast. This, our uh, second recap of the Game of Thrones Season 7 for the second episode, Episode 2. It's going to be the episode called Stormborn. Uh, And here we go, getting right back into it. The storm is there. But I want to do what's something that we haven't done yet, and that is introduce the one, the only, the great Frank Marsilio. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing well, my friend. How are you? I'm I'm great. I uh, you know it, it was awesome seeing you this past weekend, and I'm I'm really excited that we have a new season of Game of Thrones to talk about, and uh, maybe and hopefully recap every week. Uh, we'll try to get some feedback from our audience and see if that's something we want to keep doing, but. You know, at this rate, we've got two episodes, five to go. I think we can probably do it. So I, I don't think it's going to be a big deal. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, all right. So it agreed. Totally awesome. You guys got to come by this weekend. Heard the wedding was great. Lots of love to the family and the friends. And here we want to kick it off this week because uh, we it is Tuesday night. We've had two full days to digest the latest episode of Game of Thrones, and it's time to kind of review the reviews if you will <laughs> yeah. so i want to start with the fucking very end the craziest battle on water we've seen in game of thrones Euron Greyjoy, he uh he was lurking he was hanging he was ready outside of king's landing and he pounces on top of yara's fleet the Greyjoys, right there yeah. with the sand snakes and everybody on board frank what did you think of the scene Man, so again, I think it, it was one of those things where it's like the most obvious thing. Like sometimes we look for all like the theories and like what what is he going to do? What's the gift? What's it going to be? And it's just like the most obvious thing. He's got the biggest fleet and he is known for raping and pillaging and being a fucking pirate. So like, of course, that's yeah. what he's going to do. And he went straight for them, like whether he whether they have someone giving them information or not he knew that they were on dragonstone so he basically just beelined it there and cut them off wherever they were going and and we can get into the details about how this impacts danny's plan but man this was an awesome awesome scene like we haven't seen something like this like it was straight out of you know i'm obviously pirates of the caribbean are a little bit lighter and less blood but absolutely but you get that vibe of them you know really just going crazy like i mean it vibes from like the uh, battle of blackwater for sure but that was a totally different thing totally uh, different and with the blackwater you have you never really have you know this ship on ship board take destroy kind yeah. of you know imagery really with this scene and really what was you know it really does give uh, weight and power to Euron Greyjoy, who just had these thousand ships built in a snap hurry. Yeah. But then I think something that Game of Thrones really does is like it's it, like you said, it's subverting your expectations. So while like I would have thought that Euron's ships would have been small and dinky because he just had to build them and get out of there, his ships dwarf Yara's in the day. Oh, in yeah. the night, and that's what's so cool about this scene is because unlike so many other, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, Three Hundred, the sequel, uh, you know, these great epic, you know, Master and Commander, these great epic ship movies, uh, and ship S A S H I P, not S H I T, ladies and germs. We're gonna, <laughs> it's it's explicit, but we're not getting that crazy. I'm talking about ships, all right. So 
this all this is done at night so it gives scale it makes the imagery behind them dynamic when the cannons are going off i thought that the way that they used the cgi against like the setting was really really cool because it played to like my fears like holy shit here comes this huge cthulhu boarding plank metal thing yeah it's gonna come over my head and all these the most craziest deranged George R. R. Martin pirates come flooding over this thing, which I can only imagine are way worse than the Disney pirates. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it just, you get into the situation and you're like, Oh my God, this is all going downhill so fast. And what I feel bad about is I so didn't anticipate this. I so should have seen this coming because we knew from the last episode that you're on Greyjoy was just sailing uh, out of King's landing. And then when you, by the time you hear Yara say that, you know, she's going to be uh, taking the ships around to go get Castle Rock. Uh, no, excuse me. She's going to be taking um, King's Landing, right? King's Landing. Uh, no, no, no. They're going to Dorne. I'm sorry. They're everybody. going to Dorne. Sorry, everybody. I will take notes next episode. So, so many moving parts, but regardless. So it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff. Anyway, they're going to Dorne to go get the Dornish army, and then they're going to go from there to go get the Tyrell army, um, which is going to be a whole other situation. We can talk about that when we get to the Lady Olenna scene. Um, but all, everything is at stake, and Daenerys' fleet looks like, or at least to my imagining, is probably totally destroyed, unless they saved some of the Greyjoy ships mostly back from doing a covert op like this. However, I don't think that's going to be the case, because... Even still, if Daenerys were to still have those ships, then unfortunately, she's not going to really be able to command the fucking Greyjoys if Theon comes back and acts like it was some shit. Because right. I'm sure that, that the news is going to get out of what happened to Theon through these pirates. Yeah, so, I mean, like you said, I think the cool thing about this this scene was just how fast everything was moving. Like, it, you know, we weren't expecting it, and it's just like quick cuts of just people dying and like it, it was seriously it felt like it was almost double time how how fast it was moving and like they took out two of the sand snakes and captured another and Ilaria sand and presumably yara and you've got this moment where theon just like he returns to reek and dives off the ship like a pussy i mean i obviously he's been through a lot of stuff like we we understand that all this comes like re like rushing back to him but you know it really proves like that you know that yara was looking to him as his protector but really like there was no way he was ever going to really stand up no and, there was uh, not a shot in hell no. and you can so see that when alarie is talking to they totally set that up, and we totally said it last week. Right. That anytime you see characters having this really buddy buddy conversation, they're probably about to die. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we, to I totally didn't miss that because you're just so caught up in the episode. So, essentially, uh, working backwards still, Yara and Alarie are about to hooks up, which we know tracks from the older episode. Uh, older episodes and older seasons. Uh, poor Theon, Reek, whatever. Uh, he's ill-equipped, um, so there's not really much he's going to do in this situation. Also, given the fact that Yara is his sister, so he's sure. trying to get out of there. He's getting out um, of there. But so as he's getting out of there, as everything is going down, the shit starts rolling in, and here we are. You know, 
Uh, I think, okay, let me ask you a, a few questions. Do you sure. think Yara is still alive? Do you think Yara is the gift? Because I don't think she's a good gift. Uh, I think she's too important to die off screen. Um, but I, I think it's kind of just going to be a package deal. He's going to show up with, you know, what he's got, the, the characters that we, we recognize their faces, you know, one of the Sand Snakes, Alaria and Yara, and just be like, look, I, I brought part of the threat back to you and you can do with them as you please. Um, unfortunately, you know, there's no one really on the other side. Like, I don't think Danny necessarily is going to be like, Oh, you know, I need these people back. Let's, you know, Ben, or like the, there's no like emotional weight for these characters for her. So it, their, their fate seemed a little doomed to me regardless. I, I think if they, if they're going to kill them, they're going to show it on screen um, next week, probably. Um, and then for for Theon, I, I think we can assume he's probably going to be the the messenger back to to Danny and just tell her everything that happened. I, how he he gets there, who knows how far along they they were from from Dragonstone. Whether he's going to find some random rowboat or something to get out of there. Um, but you know, obviously, I don't think we've seen the last of him. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it, it, it was it was a, a crazy end to, to an episode that I don't think, like we said, we weren't expecting. Usually episode two, you don't have these big epic scenes. Usually it's still a little bit more buildup. And I think the rest of the episode was that. Um, there were a lot of really satisfying moments, but um, I don't know. Is there anything else with the with the, the battle at sea that you want to cover or, or, or do you think we can move on to some of the other items? Yeah, of course. I think we can totally move on. I just uh, I want to say that I really enjoyed the scene. I love the dynamic action of Game of Thrones. It keeps me entertained. And that's why we tune in every week, because you fucking don't know what the fuck is going to happen <laughs> at any given time. So, OK. Um, OK, working backwards still. So let's touch upon Sam's kind of pick up in the story over here. Yeah. So last we left off last week, the poop soup montage gave everyone the willies and it really was not so not so cute. Uh, continuing along with that fashion, uh, Sam, you know, he's speaking with the Archmaester. He's learning about what's going on. Uh, I think as we continue to see, you know, Sam's inquisitive mind, you know, he's questioning them and he's questioning the Archmaester about uh, these old uh rituals or old practices for curing grayscale which according to sam has been cured twice by an archmaester who then got grayscale so i was very interested to see this i did not expect sam to attempt it this far in the season given that there are only seven episodes maybe i was wrong so uh by the uh the the beginning of sam's second you know installment of the episode we're watching him, you know, kind of going in on Jorah's last night, you know, however he wants to go out is kind of his business, according to Jim Broadbent, which is kind of an unspoken thing. It's pretty yeah. cool. Um, you think if you're Jorah, you know, you're a knight, you know, and these women, like, they don't in this universe, I'm not saying that it's true in real life, but if you're Jorah and you're trying to get out and to go do what you want to do, you have pretty much full access you know, along with whatever petty cash you have to do whatever you want on your last night. Game of Thrones really doesn't have Westeros doesn't really have rules like that. Yeah, but he's also a knight and he's kind of honorable. I don't think he's like gonna go. He doesn't want to infect anyone else. So like, like I don't know. So do you think it was more about him wanting to like kill himself? Um, I you know I, I think that's why he looks at the sword. I think that's what it was. I think it's like end it, end it 
quickly or go be a stone man. I don't think he wanted to be a stone man. Um, but because you see him writing his letter to Khaleesi and, you know, he's going to send it off as sort of his like last hurrah kind of thing. But like, like you mentioned, Sam comes in and is like, look, we're going to take care of this. We, I'm just going to cut it all off. (laughs) So that scene was brutal. Oh yeah. Brutal. And I got to hand it to, you know, Benioff and Weiss, like they are fucking going for it this season. Yeah. There, it really feels like there are no old bars. And you, like when they're cutting this off of his peck, I'm feeling every move of Sam's knife. It's... And then that cut, that uh, horrible, amazing cut of Sam, you know, cut, cutting in to then we're back at Hot Pie's place and they're cutting <laughs> into the fucking pie. Oh my God. Oh my God. That's twice in a row now. Two episodes in a row they're doing this. Like, I, I think it, it works. I, I just, I think that's enough. <laughs> like, you know, there's only so many times that we can have those kind of quick cut moments. I mean, it was gross. And it definitely succeeded in in, in, in that imagery. But, like, I, I don't need, I don't know if they need to do it again, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just, like, cutting, like, it seems like such a, illogical way to get rid of the grayscale but you know obviously sam is 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 following some some book that has laid this all out and you know he's going to basically take it all off and put some sort of ointment on it to to heal it now i I don't know he but but we both know where he needs to go right he needs to go see cleese because that's where the dragonstone is and that's where he's going to be safe right so i think whether or not it like it actually goes away for good. I think it, it could really knock it down a lot and it, it maybe it won't affect him as much. It, it could be more like Shireen, the little girl, um, you know, cutting it off like at an early stage, not quite as early as hers. But yeah, I think if he goes to Dragonstone where the, the dragon glass is and it'll kind of slow down the progression. And like, like you mentioned, I think he's going there. Um, obviously he, he sent a letter to Jon Snow and Jon Snow knows about this and he's heading down to Dragonstone. So there's going to be a lot of meeting up really soon. So, uh, do you, so just quick speculation. Do you think that they're going to kick Sam out of uh, attempting to become a maester and then that's why he goes with George to Dragonstone? Or do you think we're going to keep Sam at, at uh, Old Town, stay at learning to become a maester and uh, we'll see Jorah? maybe begin his way back you know it's hard i i I don't want them to kick him out um i I would love to see the story of him actually become becoming a maester but again similar to Jon snow his path lies with defeating the white walkers and he knows what he needs to know now and it's really quick for them to be down there in old town but i could also see them just being like well you're out you dissipate us like just you know, you're not welcome here anymore. And then he's like, well, it's okay. Cause I've got another mission that I kind of want to go on. Um, okay. So moving on to other people moving backwards in the episode still, yeah. other people who are heading South, Jon Snow, our buddy, our boy, the homeboy, the, uh, the, the man, the king of the, 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 the print, the prince who was motherfucking promised. Yeah. Uh, he is on his way. He is on his way back down, uh, to go and presumably, I think he's going to bend the knee to Dennis Ceres. So early, you know, 
early in the episode, it's revealed that Jon Snow has received uh, two ravens, one from Denisaris, one from uh, Sam. Uh, Sam. Both of them have to do with Dragonstone. Both of them have to do with Dragonglass. Uh, in his mind, it's kind of a win-win. Um, at a certain point, you know, you see Jon Snow being, I think, very much Ned. He's, you may have given me the, the name of the King of the North, but I never ans- asked for it. Yeah. I never accepted it. And you have Liana Marmont, who I love. I mean, don't get me wrong. Last season, she was such a pip. And then the beginning of this season, ah, the member berries. Maybe let's not have her just be one note all the time. Let's right. have her be have a dissenting thought occasionally. Right. And then finally, and this is what I thought is kind of interesting and I think is going to lead to an interesting place, um, is that so uh, Jon Snow, he decides after receiving these ravens and talking with his people that ultimately the best decision he can make is that he has to absolutely go and see what's going on here despite their family history of the Starks, you know, and the amazing Starks who had went south only to be killed. He's fat, He's fighting this battle out with Sansa. Sansa ultimately is, you know, kind of become the voice of the people. She's learned a lot about ruling. She's mm-hmm. learned a lot about what it means to honor your bannermen and how to, you know, work with this. Obviously, the veil. Obviously, Littlefinger is having some input on this as well. I think we can't assume she's just doing this in a vacuum. Right. Uh, but he appoints her, uh, and he notes it, the only real Stark uh, in the North Right. Who's going to be ruling Winterfell and thus, you know, ruler of the North. I don't know if I would say queen, but she's definitely she is in charge. She, she's the the warden ward or something of the North for the Warden-ness. time. So, similar to like early season two when Bran was in charge when Rob was away. Like that kind sure, of thing. The, the warden. Some, something. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting if he comes back and wants to take that power back because I, I don't know if she's necessarily going to be so willing to give it up. Not that he yeah. necessarily wants it. So, but yeah, I, I yeah, I'm very excited to see John and Daenerys meet up. I think it has been very very long uh, teased and speculated by fans and anticipated. Um, but th- there's a, a key piece missing for me. I think is that. They still don't know John's true lineage. You know, obviously, end of last season, we get the teases from from Bran um, as a three eyed uh, raven that John is actually the daughter of Lyanna Stark and Rhaegar Targaryen, and that gives him, you know, the Targaryen blood. So, you know, they don't know that yet, which to me would have been really, really awesome to see. Uh, but there's but, two, but there's only two people in all of Westeros who actually couldn't know this. Right. One person, uh, is another fellow without, uh, uh, the, uh, the equipment, the ability to perform. And that is Varys who mm-hmm. has been, who is in the books for possibly switching some babies around at different times. And the other person is going to be Littlefinger. Um, if Littlefinger has proven us anything, is that this motherfucker knows what's going on. Yes. So I think that it would be very likely. I know that this our Game of Thrones is going to be a lot of speculation, and I accept that a lot of the times we're going to be wrong. So I said that, fans. You heard me say it. AJ said he's going to be wrong. Everyone's like, well, well, of course he's going to be wrong. He's crazy. Well, yeah, I'm crazy, but that doesn't mean I'm always wrong. Anyway, <laughs> here's the here's the difference. Um, what I'm saying to you folks is that. 
you know, we can never underestimate Littlefinger and you can never underestimate what Littlefinger is doing. So while some people on the Internet can say, wow, you know, Jon Snow really told Littlefinger, I feel the complete opposite. Jon Snow gave up his greatest weakness to Littlefinger. Yeah. By getting mad at him the way he reacted when he when he said that about Sansa. Um, I think that that is going to be damning for him. Yeah, it's, it was an empty threat. You know, he's like, stay away from my sister, and then he leaves. And, you know, it's, it's, it was very cool to see that scene in the crypts because it very much echoed back to Ned and Littlefinger season one. Uh, but obviously we know how that panned out for Ned. Um, and, and, yeah, you, yeah you, don't, you don't cross Littlefinger. And, you know, there could be something where it's like, hey, Sansa, um, you know, uh, your brother, your half-brother John? Well, actually, he's not. He's kind of your cousin. And um, I know this because. And then Bran shows up and he's like, yeah, he's right. And then it's like, then they, they could easily go against him. He's a Targaryen. From under them. Exactly. So we'll see where that all goes. Um, I, I think there's going to still be a, a big meetup in uh on dragonstone um brother sam and, and jorah go there too we'll see but for now uh we've got you know danny and Tyrion. um so i guess actually it was was wondering um so we still have the you had said something earlier in the episode that triggered something to me um danny's plan is sort of a little bit gonna have to be revamped a bit right so okay so this episode as a, as a, you know, I think of myself as a writer, um, as this episode goes, the expositing, the exposition that's done in this episode is as good as Doc Brown and Marty McFly. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, I'm there. Like, I, I got the plan. Yeah. And that's why it's awesome. So let's talk about their plan. So uh, Tyrion knows Cersei. Tyrion is... Homies with the lady Danny. Danny understands that Tyrion is the only person who can help her really defeat the Lannisters. So Tyrion is already one step ahead of Cersei, who we see in this episode already beginning to rile up the Bannermen. We'll talk about Jamie a little bit later, but he's she's riling up the Bannermen, telling them she has brought the Dothraki to the shores of Westeros. The first time this has ever happened. She's brought these uh, eunuch, uh, unsullied slaves, these barbarians, and she's trying to very a la Fonald Fump uh, <laughs> rile up you know the base in order to get them scared and angry so that they'll fight for her. Yeah. This is this looks to be what I would say very convincing and I think is a really great place for her to start. So Tyrion understands this in this beautiful scene at the, ta- at the map table where Melisandre got down and dirty with it. Uh, we see <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, her entire queen's guard or, you know, her cabinet more or less uh, her small council. What do they call this? This is small council. Yeah. yeah the small council. I, uh, so, good so her, so she's meeting with her small council, which at this point in the episode includes Yara, Alar- Yara, Alaria, Tyrion, Varys. You also have Lady Elena in there, which was really cool to see. You also have uh, Tyrion, and of course you have uh, yeah. Grey Worm. You have Grey Worm, uh, Theon, uh, Missandei. Like they're, they're all, all the recognizable faces are in this room. Oh, yeah. And so here's their plan. So because we know Cersei is already rallying um, the uh, houses to their defense, um, Danny wants to subvert their expectations and to have the Dornish and the Tyrells 
surround King's Landing and deprive them of food, water, you know, and uh, trade. At this point, the Dothraki and the Greyjoys are going to sail around uh, Westeros, and they're going to go over towards Castle Rock, which is the Lannister home castle, which we really haven't spent a lot of time We've at. Never seen, which is going to be um, really exciting. So we're going to go to Castle Rock, and they're going the Dothraki and the uh, Unsullied will sack it there, uh, which is a really great plan. <laughs> and, yeah, and, you know it's funny because everyone was like so skeptical of the plan at first, and then Theon's like, well, uh, Tyrion rather, it's like, well, we'll take Casterly Rock and we'll surround them. And then they're all like, oh, yeah, that really makes a, a lot of sense. <laughs> you see that aha moment on everyone. And yeah. it's like, man, they're, they're going to really do this right until the ships get blown up and this army from the south is maybe not coming anymore. So I don't think – okay. So here's what's interesting about where we are now, you know, at the end of the episode versus where the plan begins. So – is Zedisaris' plan going to go be able to go to plan? I believe no, based on the fact that, you know, how how much bigger Euron's ships looked in that scene right. at the end and how many of them sailed off and how few of them were left standing, if any of them were left standing, at the end of the episode where we see Theon. So I don't think that she has a naval fleet anymore. Having said that, I can also understand if Danny didn't send out all of the Greyjoy ships, yeah. and she may uh, try to send the remaining Greyjoys and uh, Dothraki and Unsullied, uh, or, or excuse me, she may send the Dothraki and the Unsullied on the Greyjoy ships and use the Greyjoys to surround King's Landing. Right. But. I don't think that's as likely because they're more of a seafaring people. These are pirates. I don't know if they're going to be really great at land-to-land -land combat. And additionally, what we saw under the Red Keep that uh, that Maester Kyburn showed us, which doesn't look good and didn't make me feel good. <laughs> and uh, that scared the fuck out of me, to be yeah. totally honest. The, uh, the, the big dragon crossbow whatever you want to call them. So first of all, they're like shooting at what is a, that's like, that's a very important dragon skull. So like, it's like fucked up that they're already like thinking about like doing this to living dragons, like in, in and of itself. Like I understand they have to defend themselves, but you know, in and of itself, like maybe we shouldn't be killing the dragons. Maybe if they've been extinct for 3000 years, it's okay if they come back around. Right. Um, at any, at any rate, uh, um, when they shoot this guy through the skull and then it can pierce their uh, bones, you know, really makes a, a proper case. And I'm like, oh, shit, the motherfucking wall. So right. at this point, I'm like, OK, Cersei has thought about this. And then you see a really great scene with uh, one of the Tyrell Bannermen. Um, Harley. Harley, the Sam's dad, right? Yeah, Sam's dad. So Sam's dad, we know, is a dick. Um, but he also has his son whose name is Dick on. <laughs> so if he's really a dick or like a douche, we can really argue this back and forth, you know, giant turd sandwich, giant douche, whatever. Uh, but what ultimately I think it was really telling how Tully Tarly spoke with Jamie because at each point, you know, they're kind of, he's able to rebut, excuse me, 
a little bit of the game brew inspiration got me uh, drinking before the oh, podcast. Yeah. Shout oh. outs to game brew homeboys. Um, anyway, uh, we were, uh, he tells him like, listen, like I'm not about to like kill my King. And I'm also not about to break my oath to my, the person I swore my allegiance to. And he's like, we break oaths all the time. It is what it is. Anyway, I think this guy is totally going to, is, is totally, totally going to turn yeah. on the Lannisters. And he is absolutely going to be fighting for Dennis Ares. after he figures out what's going on. Um, the, he, there, there's no way, you know, as, once the people of the South really understand how grave of a threat the white walkers are going to be, I think there would be, a, there's going to be a major shift because, Frank, we're going to get into some shit we didn't discover, but we need to talk about. Yeah. One of the gifts of doing this podcast uh, is that we're not going to do it ever on Sunday night, so we're at least going to sleep on an episode. Yeah. But I want to point our fans, our listeners, our friends to a uh, episode, to a website called refinery29.com and a Twitter account at A-X-C-F-E-R- E D O so A X C Ferredo. Anyway, he posted a meme, um, and it's two images, and we will include this link in our show notes, a la Signcast. Uh, and what that's going to be is there's two pictures we have right on top of each other, and one of the things I think that I do when I'm getting ready to watch a game uh, episode of game of thrones is i'm packing a bowl i'm making sure i'm pouring out some liquor i'm getting ready and i'm unfortunately not paying as close of attention to the opening credits as i need to be because this has been i think revealed to be a major spoiler that if we aren't all fucking freaking out about i don't know what we're doing yeah Uh, okay just to be noted that like the the opening credits from episode one of this series has has been something that has always been interesting and People have been talking about for a long time, like when the first time they showed Bravos, the first time they showed Dorn, and even this season, or maybe at the end of last season, we saw Old Town, the Citadel for the first time. It's always really cool to actually see it laid out. And, you know, we, we've seen places like The Wall hundreds of times, maybe not hundreds. Hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of times. 60 times. 60 times. It's not 100, but if you've rewatched the episodes like some of us have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enough in the opening credits that nothing's really changed until now. And in this image, like AJ was just describing, I, I think w- w- is the first one from last season or is it the beginning of this season or, yep. and then the second image is up to date. Yes. Sunday night, the shivering sea has now frozen over and there is no longer uh, water next to East watch by the sea, but, just ice. <laughs> so I think that we've all been uh, tricked into not thinking that every ounce of Game of Thrones is jam packed with expositional information. We just gloss over it because we love it so much. But when Jim Broadbent is telling uh, m- Mr. Uh, young beginning Maester Sam that the wall has stood time and time again, winters and winters. Uh, yeah, I get what he means now. <laughs> they don't need to knock it down. They just walk around it. <laughs> they fucking walk around it. So what we can assert here and what, you know, some other people online have been beginning to discuss is that the beginning shot that we see, uh, whether it's of Bran's vision or whether it is of, you know, the White Walkers and the Night King themselves, that they are walking over the frozen sea. 
So presumably that doesn't sound very good for Tormund. Right. Yeah. And it tracks because, you know, they're coming from hard home, which was basically north of that. And then, you know, they, they'd been talking about how even Jon Snow mentioned it, that they're probably heading toward East Watch by the sea. He sends Tormund there. Uh, yeah, it really doesn't look good because there, there's they're going to be defending that. And all of a sudden they're going to come up right behind them and be fucked. So. So, ladies and gentlemen, what we're saying to you now and what I hope we can confirm in the, in an episode or two is that the White Walkers, uh, the spells that have been placed upon the wall that we've been discussing since Benjamin Stark's death or Benjamin Stark's, you know, after death, <laughs> um, is uh, that there's spells over the wall that prevent the White Walkers or the Whites from entering. It's similar to uh, the Three-Eyed Ravens hideout, you know, north of the wall where whenever the Whites would come in, they would get obliterated. Uh, yeah, this totally screws that logic. So I don't think it's going to be very good for our friends, um, T- Tormund and anybody north of the wall or anybody really north of Winterfell. Yeah. Um, I would say that Winterfell and well, absolutely not. I'm sorry. Uh, the Karstarks and the Embers, they're first. They're there first. And, and, uh, Sir, Sir Jon Snow just, um, Put the little youngins in charge there, so uh, that's that's not very good. Um, no, that's not very good. So, um, all right. So, good luck with everybody up in the north. Yeah. <laughs> uh, John Snow's got to save the Song of Ice and Fire. It's not really about you know all these other you know Denisaris things. So, I think it's going to be interesting to see what their motivations are when they're talking to each other, if. Uh, James is able to explain to Danny what's going on. I one of the things I really hope that does not happen is that uh, Danny and John start some kind of romantic relationship. Yeah. Uh, please do not do that, Game of Thrones. Uh, there's enough qu- uh, cringeworthy quasi incest enough. Yeah. Uh, nobody else. No, we don't need that. And uh, I don't think it serves either of their characters to fall in love with each other. So now the, the only thing I will say is that this show has been known to, you know, even alliances have been made without love in, in, in the sense of even like you see Lady Catelyn and Ned Stark, you know, were wed and, you know, they grew to love each other. Um, you know, whether, yeah, but I, I, I want to see yeah. it. I don't want them to get together, but I, I do think there is a chance that an alliance there is made. Um, but, you know, right now she's asking for him to bend in the knee. So why does she need to marry him? You know, nope, she does not need to. She does not need to marry him. I think uh, I personally, I think, as I said earlier, Jon Snow is absolutely going to bend the knee. Um, so I'm not really worried about that. OK, last thing uh, we got to talk about in this episode is uh, Arya Stark Arya. Uh, and the Nymeria reunion, which is adorable and totally fan service. I equate this to any Easter egg in a Marvel movie, because <laughs> unfortunately, this scene does not service uh, Arya's character enough because they because Game of Thrones has this thing where they are tend to be very, very vague, even though they're saying something very specific. You know, even the showrunners have had to come out and say what Arya Stark has meant. Uh, and I think everyone has been cleared, cleared enough to say that, no, it's not that she's saying, that's not you, you're not Nymeria. She's saying, no, that's not you, Arya. That 
Nymeria no longer recognizes or, you know, feels that Arya's person is worthy of her companionship. Or, and, or also the fact that Nymeria is not a domesticated dog and, or direwolf even, domesticated direwolf, because we've had those, um, and would not want to return to the north to Winterfell. She has her own pack. So Nymeria is going to go off and do her own thing. And also Arya is going to go off and do her own thing. Yes. And I think that scene's great. I think it's total fan service, but I think that the scene earlier is much more important. And this is the return of one of the greatest characters in Game of Thrones. Ladies and gentlemen, Hot Pie. Hot Pie! Hot Pie, we were so glad that you opened up your little shop. (laughs) You're making your pies. You're serving your rails. Life seems fucking good for you, dude. I'm really glad that not everybody (laughs) has to deal with good and evil in this world. (laughs) And that you're content doing your own thing. Really happy for you, my friend. Um, So, uh, Hot Pie, also, as a writer, some of the greatest exposition ever done. Arya realizes in this scene that the Starks have retaken Winterfell, that Jon Snow led a rebellion, and that he's king in the motherfucking north. So Arya hot-tails it right out of Hot Pies and is on her way. This is when she meets Nymeria. What did you think of this scene? I, I thought I was... I was a little bit ready to see Arya kill Cersei in the next episode. You know, um, I, I, and I, was, I think this is a little bit of a, a twist. So, okay, there there are multiple ways it can be taken. So, for me, and I think I said this last week, I'm not in the camp of I want to see Arya kill Cersei. I think it would be a little undercutting the story that they're telling with Jaime and Cersei, um, but that's for another time. So, I think Arya being diverted to the north was very interesting, and it was really great to see her meet up with Nymeria. But I think that scene, it, it can indicate two things. She can either say, okay, well, I already decided I'm going north, and I'm going to keep going north and meet up with my family. Or, that's not you. You know, Maybe she's going to change her mind and actually say, you know what, maybe I'm not going to go north. Maybe I am going to still go back to Cersei. So we'll see what happens next week. It, it could be so so obvious once we see it. Um, but you know, they didn't really explicitly say what her plan is from here. Um, I, I would like to see her go North. You know, everyone wants the reunions, you know, we've already gotten so many reunions. We have her and Nymeria in this episode. Um, everyone wants to see her reunite with Sansa. I don't think she's going to reunite quite yet with John because he's gone. Um, I don't know. What, what about you? Where do you, where do you think she's headed? I think that whenever we see a reunion, it's often between two characters who like didn't like each other at one point, but who who like are really excited to see each other later on. So I think that for Arya and Sansa's stake, we're definitely going to see them be reunited, um, which is going to be interesting because they didn't really get along when they lived in Winterfell. Um, so once we kind of see them come back together, I think the dynamic is going to change. And I think that they kind of, you know, re, you know, ally themselves with the Starks in the sense that they're both strong women who both had to go out and kind of do their own thing um, for, you know, anything else. There's not really much that they can do. Mm-hmm. And then if and when Bran Stark comes back, all that is moot because then Bran Stark is king in the north. He's he's Ned Stark's son. Well, yeah, I, I don't know how all the politics work there. I mean, obviously, he's younger than Sansa. And unless Jon Snow is actually killed, I think Jon still has has the right until they 
take away his title, whatever. I don't know. Um, I, I do think they're all going to end up reuniting at some point. Uh, Bran is quickly making his way there. I, I'm sure we didn't see him this week, so I'm sure we'll see him next week. I still think that he'll probably be at the wall and then maybe leave the wall and start to head south to Winterfell. I don't think um, we're going to necessarily just be like, oh, and now he's on the doorstep of Winterfell. Like, I think there's going to be another scene there, um, which is fine. I mean, I, I, I like the Night's Watch, and I think there's probably um, some exposition that's needed there to get everyone up to speed. Maybe there's going to be a... Um, a scene with with the the wildlings at at the the wall getting attacked, and then a raven gets sent, and they find out about this. Who knows? There, I, I think we're getting it, things are moving very fast, and I wouldn't be surprised if you know we had another action packed episode coming up, whether it's a a war up in the north or whether the uh, unsullied and the Dothraki make it to Casterly Rock. I, th- I think it's gonna it's gonna happen pretty quickly. Maybe, maybe not quite the same battle scene level as this past week. But in probably by three or episode four, we probably get that. Um, All right. Um, so so I, yeah, I think that covers the episode. Uh, a lot happened. Um, a lot to speculate on, and you know we have only a few more days now until <laughs> the next episode, which is always very exciting. Oh, it's awesome! So I'm thrilled to get there. Listen, folks, we we love Game of Thrones. We're big fans. We want to be, uh, you know. Uh, right up there with you, you know, doing the consultation, but maybe we'll be a few days late. So you have a few days to think about it. Um, Okay. So another thing we're going to be a few days late to recap and discuss is uh, the two, I would say the three major trailers that came out of Comic-Con that we had not discussed uh, on the previous episode. And that would be the two official trailers that came out, which are the four minute justice league, hype trailer mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about in a minute and let's start with the uh official thor ragnarok trailer um that came that came out so uh thor ragnarok is going to be the third thor movie uh loosely third. translated ragnarok means the end of everything yeah uh and this is you know uh marvel transitioning you know, and we can see through their soft team-up pictures, which I would call Marvel Civil War, Spider-Man, Ant-Man to some extent, uh, where you're going to have at least two Avengers in the movie. Um, and then from there, it kind of builds on itself going forward. Yeah. Uh, you got Hulk, and you have a talking Hulk. Frank, uh, what did you think of this trailer? Um, what oh, are, uh, what are, your, are you excited for the movie? What do you think? I... I'm so excited for this movie. I, it's, I think it's surprising me um, in so many ways. Um, it's, it's getting near levels of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy excitement um, because, you know, we've had two Thor movies. We've had him in two Avengers movies, and he's always been a little bit of a bland character. And, you know, the, the problem that... Uh, the Thor movies have had is that he's the central character and, you know, you root for him, but you never, like, he's not like your Captain America, your Iron Man, that, like, you really are always on their side and you really, really care about them. You really are starting to feel for Thor in this. And then you also have a really great supporting cast of characters. Like you mentioned, Hulk is incredible in this second trailer. I think the first trailer, you know, the reveal of him and them in the pit was, you know, really awesome. And it's like, I know him from work. That's, like, so funny. 
but like he's hilarious in this. And I, I do think the the tone is starting to match a little bit with the Guardians films. It's got that like '80s sort of campy vibe to it, and, and that may be because of the planet they're, that they're on. Um, all the colors are really popping. Um, I think for me, the only thing that I'm still slightly reserved about is Hela, the villain, and I think that's because we just came off of a an amazing villain with uh, the Vulture and Spider-Man. Um, but I, you know, Marvel has a track record of not really succeeding with their villains and they have Kate Blanchett and like, I really just want her to not be a, a mustache twirling villain and that there's actually some depth to her character. And from the trailers so far, I'm not getting a lot of that, but you know, we don't want anything really given away obviously. But I think the other pieces that we have Loki in this movie, and again, he is a, a very compelling villain and has been for every, he's, he basically steals the show in any movie that he's in, uh, you know, even, more so than Thor. So it's, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see uh, how he kind of stacks up in it all um, or if it's more of a glorified cameo. Um, obviously, he's part of the team that Thor's setting up. Um, it's, I don't know. I, I'll let you talk a bit because I, I could probably go on and on. Um, it's, I'm, I'm more excited for it than I thought I would ever be about a Thor movie. And I think the other news about it is that they really are emphasizing the fact that this movie is pure setup for Infinity War and that if you don't see it, you're going to be kind of lost in Infinity War. Oh, my God. You have never been more right on this entire podcast. Uh, <laughs> okay. So first things first, uh, a little bit of news came out today from Taika Waititi, who did a great movie called The Things We Do in the Shadows. Uh, he's an Australian – he's a – excuse me. He's a New Zealand director. Um, he's incredibly, incredibly talented. Uh, so he announced today that this movie is only going to be about 107 minutes. So that's a little over an hour and a half. Wow. Uh, which will be the shortest Marvel movie to date, um, which I think is a very interesting direction. Um, and I think it com- kind of comes off of how long uh, Civil War was and also how long Batman vs. Superman was. And I think that they know that with the next movie, Infinity War, we've already it's already been announced from the Russo brothers that this is going to be the longest Marvel movie that they absolutely don't need to kill 120 minutes of screen time uh, to they shouldn't have to kill 120 minutes of screen time to make this movie a success. Right. So I think that that's a very strong statement because you can still do a lot in 107, 110 minutes. So what? here's a few other things I want to add to this. Um, I think that Marvel has gotten to the point now where they're able to fill out their casts with unparalleled A-list talent. And I think that you're – I agree with you that I'm also reserving judgment for Kate Blanchett's Hella. But I think that Kate Blanchett is a – fucking phenomenal actress yeah i think that her body of work speaks for itself i think that she really has a very diverse and interesting body of work and i think that this is a really great uh moment for her like many of the marvel people are to make a really to make something really great for their kids but i think delving even deeper into some things that she says in this movie that we did not really have confirmed and I think really begin to set up a new direction for this character is that she is, can be quoted in this trailer as saying, I am death. Uh, we know from Thanos <laughs> from the end of, uh, the Avengers to kill the Avengers is to court death. Well, fucking that's exactly what Thanos is trying to do. 
And I think that that lays out a whole bunch of exposition very subtly for the major nerds who know exactly why Thanos is courting death. We don't need to go into the spoilers now. That's that is for a YouTube dive session. We do not have time for. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that sets up a huge plot point for Infinity War. I also think that uh, it's very interesting that this is going to be the setup for Infinity War. Um, but we are kind of also going to be getting a good part of the greatest hits of the Thor Ragnarok uh, comic book line, which was designed really to get Thor off Earth for Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, and what this, uh, what in this line, uh, Thor fights the king of the fire demons, Surtur, who is pictured at the end of the trailer with Hulk doing his awesome, like flying Hulk smash move in the air, which yeah. just looks incredibly epic and excellent and so much bigger and more epic than I ever could have imagined them bringing that character to the screen. So I applaud everybody who put that together. I really was thinking that they weren't going to go with this Ragnarok telling. There's also another Ragnarok telling where there's a Thor clone, which has less Surtur. So, <laughs> uh, okay, all that being said, a lot we can take away from this trailer. One of my favorite parts of it is Baby Talk Thor uh, from <laughs> the Comic-Con panel, which everyone can go watch online. Uh, at Comic-Con, uh, Mark Ruffalo is talking about, you know, why Thor, is, why Hulk is speaking. And he's saying Hulk is speaking because he's been Hulk for two years now. So Hulk has not been Banner for two years, and he's trying very hard to resist going and reverting back to Banner. It, um, it's interesting because even the scenes with Banner, you feel like Banner is, like, so out of it. Like... Obviously, whenever he switches back and forth, there's a sense of like, wait, what happened? But he he almost sounds like he almost sounds like a baby. Like his, his like voice is just like so right. confused. And so there's definitely a sense of, uh, you know, Hulk taking over. And, and, you know, on a planet like that, I think you know, it makes sense. He's going to be fighting constantly. That's very much a core concept from the planet Hulk comics. So. Oh, yeah. And, and they've nailed all of this, too. Really subtle Easter egg on the on the. Uh, not the collector, the uh, what Grandmaster. The, the Grandmaster's Tower. There's a sculpture of Beta Ray Bill. Jesus oh. Christ, put Beta Ray Bill in this movie. <laughs> um, if they if they do this, the Spider Man thing where they kept him out of the Thor's team uh, at the end, and it's been secret that Beta Ray Bill's in it the whole time. Holy fucking shit! I'd be so happy. That'd be awesome. Um, that would be really really awesome. Also, I loved the like the thunder and the lightning in. Uh, Thor at the end of this movie like when else do we get to really see him be full out the god of lightning like I am down for that yeah Uh, I I think the other interesting thing that they're still holding back and you know I almost said it before but um, I I don't think a lot of time is going to be spent on earth but there is and they've talked about this before that you know there's supposed to be a meetup with Doctor Strange and it may be brief but we have i'm glad they haven't shown that i think that it, it, i'd rather see that for the first time screen. on a big screen yeah, so um, and and i think that you can show surter enough that we know he's in the movie and we can all cream our pants but you don't have to show his full body you also don't have to show beta ray bill you also don't have to show doctor strange in the trailer you you don't have to show too much loki in the trailer like you really they they they've got a great product here. I'm really excited for this movie. I'm really excited for 
uh, what they're doing here. So that's great. Okay. So uh, I will say that I did watch the un- unofficial uh, camera phone footage of the Avengers Infinity War trailer. Oh, no, you did. I did. Uh, so um, I'm going to tell everyone – you know, first of all, if you come across this video, you're better off not watching it. It's bad. Okay. The quality is bad. Uh, the CGI is not finished. Um, it's it's not done yet. It's not baked through. And that's the thing I think that's the reason why Marvel does these uh, kind of trailers for Comic-Con and why they've always had this special relationship with Comic-Con is because Feige knows you can show the nerds an unfinished CGI shot and the nerds in the room are going to cream their pants. But he also knows if you release that unfinished shot to the nerds online, the nerds online are going to pick that apart. Right. So I think that's very smart on his end. Uh, I will say you don't need to see this. It spoils the end of uh, the next Thor movie. Um, If you've read the recaps, I think that, yeah, it's all there. It looks. It doesn't look like you imagine it looks, and it's not going to satiate your hunger for the trailer anymore. Right. So I think let's all wait for Disney to release the official the official trailer so that we could watch what they want us to see. And I don't think we're going to see that at least until uh, September, if not with opening with Thor. So just everybody avoid that. You don't need to see it. You're not missing much and anything that you're going to be missing. I think that they may not even use in the movie anyway. If you want to read the recap, that's up to you. I'm not going to spoil it on the podcast. Uh, Last but not least, the Justice League trailer. Um, I just want to give a really big shout out to uh, whoever did this trailer. Um, I think that, yes, it's four minutes long. It's way too long. Maybe they shouldn't have done it this long. But having said all that, uh, there are some color correction differences that they made between this shot and the last trailer they released that you can actually go shot for shot on and see the color correction differences that they added. It's much brighter. It's much more vivid. It's it's uh, uh, Wonder Woman has a tan instead of looking a little bit more pale. Uh, Other than that. I I dig the tone. I don't want to attribute any of this to Joss Whedon because we don't know what he's really doing. He's we found out today he's not going to get a director's credit on this movie, um, sure. so sure. it's not going to be directed by Joss Whedon and Zack Snyder. I'm sure he will get a very nice thank you, but I don't think right. that there's going to be any uh, big uh, you know ceremonial title for him. Um, last but not least, I just want to get this out there. I, Frank, you want to add anything? I know we have to wrap really quick. Maybe yeah, we'll no. Back. It's cool. Um, I uh, I rewatched the trailer again today because I, 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 it was so long that there was a lot to unpack in it. Um, I, I I do think it it is a good trailer considering how long it is. I it, it probably gives away a little bit too much, but um, there, but there we some... but we knew what was coming. Yeah, yeah, and we, it was coming. we also so don't see ste- we don't see a full shot of Steppenwolf. We do nope. not see Superman. Nope. And we get a little bit of an Easter egg in there and that when Steppenwolf is giving his big speech, he says, there's no lanterns, yeah. no Kryptonians. I, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So we're definitely, I think, getting the Green Lantern uh, in this movie. I, at, at least the core. You know, they, they may just there may not be a Hal Jordan or a, a John Stewart specifically, but we may get them showing up at oh, some point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, listen. Guys, I'm down. Like, I want to see this movie. Um, I think it's interesting that this movie may contain very little Superman. And I'm sorry, but as a person who is a very big fan of the Justice League as a general idea, 
you need Superman. And here's why you need Superman. Just like Captain America and Iron Man have very different opinions about how justice is sought, uh, Superman and Batman have very different opinions about how justice is sought. What I will say, and what's going to make the difference in this movie before we wrap up, is that Wonder Woman, I think, is going to play more of the role of Superman. In yeah, this I think movie. so. And she is going to be the de facto superpowered, uh, good, yeah, good guy doing the right thing. Um, so I'm very down to see Gal. I love her. I love the thing that she did with the little girl that, this weekend where she cried. Please, <laughs> Gal Gadot, you're doing amazing work. Don't ever stop. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm excited. I, I think uh, we, we're going to have a, a busy November between Thor and, and this movie. Um, both kind of different ends of the spectrum, but meaning huge things for both of their respective universes. Last uh, thing, last thing. Uh, so Flash movie is going to be Flashpoint. What do you think of that? It's interesting. Um, I, I, I'm a Flash TV show watcher. So, a, uh, you know, they, they kind of just did that on, on TV. So it's interesting from that perspective, but also from the perspective that, Typically, the, the Flashpoint story is kind of a reboot, reset um, treatment. So on one hand, it's like, well, we haven't had a Flash movie before, so why are they already doing the reset? Unless they're using it to retool some of the missteps that they've had in this universe already. I think that's what they're doing. I think that's um, what they're doing. It, it seems I, like it. I think that they're taking a page out of Fox and they're saying – hey, if you can do a time travel movie that resets your timeline, why the fuck wouldn't you reset your timeline? So I think that that's going to come. But I also think that maybe they should have, they maybe take a note from Wonder Woman and saying like, maybe if you do a serious superhero movie and you're not making jokes at it the whole time and actually telling a fucking coherent story that you can make a really great film again. So I'm going to reserve judgment. I also don't know if the Flash movie will ever come out. I don't know if I believe it yet. (laughs) um it's it's been kicked down the road they're they're shooting henry cavill in a full fucking mustache and they're gonna take it out in post because of how expensive these reshoots are that's crazy it's crazy okay everybody i love you i know that you know we're we've never ended an episode like this but unfortunately we gotta go we have something we gotta go do um and we love you very much we wanted to make this episode as an addendum to the episode we just did uh, thank you for sticking with us through all this time. I think it's really been amazing and a really a great ride. This is episode number 16, so thank you for sticking with us. Uh, thank you for this episode. Thank you for the ability to talk about the kind of things we love to chit-chat about. And as always, I'm AJ. I'm Frank. Uh, you can find us at Long, uh, LLH Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can send us an email at info at longlostheroes.net. You can also check us out on our website, longlostheroes.net. As always, have a great week, and thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. The winter is coming. <laughs>